Good morning, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. It's the 6th of the 12th, I guess, half a dozen of the dozen of the year of our devil 2020. And uh, I have no intro because I've been hogging the mic for intros lately. So let's go straight to the listeners. All right. Well, this morning we have, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning we have a caller who writes in. I am 41, happily married with two kids considering homeschooling. I will have a conversation with Stefan about philosophy and share some of my share some of my philosophical ideas with him for his evaluation. I'm hoping Stefan can see, help me see my flaws in my reasoning and help me make my arguments more robust or give me cause to abandon them. I imagine the conversation will involve a subset of the following. The relationship of the objective and the subjective. The nature of God, the existence of free will. If we live in a simulation, the nature of evil, the origins of communism and feminism. The relationship between personal responsibility and politics. I believe all that stuff is interconnected, so I've been imagining different paths the conversation could go. I think the point of origin I want to talk about is subjective experience, so I'd like to start here. Our conscious experience is a bottom-up simulation that necessitates the existence of free will and God within that simulation. I'd like to all right. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us, of course, today. A great pleasure to chat with you, and uh, let's see how many of these we can bat around in the time that we have together. So I will let you start off the discussion. Yeah, well, um, I'm not expecting us to bat them all around. I think uh, where, where I'm uh, going with this is is that we, I, I like listening. To, I think you, you uh, offer a, a great help to people, and I like listening to your show. Uh, and I, I think generally we end up in the same place, but maybe we have very uh, different we, we start from very different places, and I, I think that maybe we can uh, iron some of that out. And I, I really would like, just you know, I'd, I'd like you to Socratic method me and and uh, maybe uh, uh, help help me with my ideas here. So, um, like let's 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 talk about uh, conscious experience and uh, this idea of living in a simulation because I think that's actually a good place to start because quite popular idea now to for people to talk about living in a simulation and it it's in something i haven't heard in the popular discourse is this idea that instead of it being some sort of top-down simulation it's the reason we live in a simulate we feel like we live in a simulation we have this, this sort of experience of that is because we we do live in a simulation but it's a bottom-up simulation of of our of our conscious experience engage like trying to make some sense out of um the objective universe around us into a model that has some utility and that's why we have that that sense of of living in a simulation and as we were provided more information from the internet and things around us the simulation the simulation seems more prone to coincidence and bizarre things happening just because there's there's more ties um, for us to have that have those that those patterns and that experience. Uh, I don't I, I don't want to have like so, sorry. Like so that's of... that's let's let's do each other a favor and try and cover as much ground as humanly possible. We yeah. don't need any intros. This uh, audience is familiar with the arguments for and against okay. the simulation. So let's just dive straight in. Yeah, of course there are coincidences and there are ways and i've had those kind of goosebumpy moments where you're like oh i wonder if this happened for that reason kind of thing but of course most of my day is not spent doing that and naturally we are pattern recognizing 
creatures, right? So human beings are pattern-recognizing creatures. So uh, let's stra dive straight into arguments you feel that support the simulation thesis. Yeah, uh, what I'm arguing, though, that it is a, a bottom-up simulation. So the, the, the reason why it feels like a simulation is because well, that's what conscious experience is. It's, we're, we're evolved creatures, and we, we make sense of the world by creating a model of that world. And that's what gives us this, the sense of a simulation. So it's not, it's, it's, and it's actually sort of like a, a hubris or like a narcissistic pride that we think that the universe is, is sort of made for us. And it's actually sort of like our, our, our sense of God that, that, or look, it's, it's atheists looking for God that sort of creates that, that desire to live in a simulation or create arguments to, to have this sort of top down simula simulation. Because if you think about it, it's it's very similar. It's like the idea of living in a in a, simula a simulation is very much like living in a video game. Or whereas there's there's of course a programmer or someone who's making that for your your pleasure. So it's, okay, it's sort of I, a... I got to interrupt you here. Okay, what did you get out of what I said at the beginning? And you're free to disagree with it, but it really does bother me when people act as if I hadn't spoken. So I asked you not to describe the phenomenon as a whole, but to give me your strongest arguments for it. And you're doing nothing of the kind. And, okay. you know, maybe that's nerves or anything like that. I understand it's a bit of an odd forum to have these I, kinds of discussions. But uh, I really do have to remind you that if I make a request, again, you're free to say, no, I want to keep describing it or tell me why. But, yeah. you know, you're not at least at liberty in this conversation to pretend I didn't say anything and just keep going on as if I didn't. That's kind of rude. In my humble oh, opinion. I'm, I'm right? sorry. So, okay. And yeah, maybe just, I, just I didn't mean to do that. Let's get straight to it. All right. So, um, I mean, my argument for why we're living in a bottom-up simula simulation is that we that we get that sense from our. Uh, so, I, I, I don't. I, I'm trying to find a point of, of the point of contentions or what we're disagreeing on. So maybe that could. But so you're proposing a rather startling metaphysical idea. There are certain okay. times when we know that we are living in a simulation. I had one of my very rare nightmares last night. It was, I won't get into the details of it. It's not particularly important. I talked about it with my family this morning. But I had a nightmare. Now, I know that it was not real. I know that it was a simulation that was going on within my mind. We also enter into simulations when we're reading, I think, a particularly vivid novel. I've been listening back to my audiobook reading of my novel almost, and it's very vivid to be the characters, the locations, the people, the emotions, the relationships, all very vivid. Now, that's obviously a simulation. Some of the book is real. Some of the book is historically accurate, and some of it is emotionally accurate or historically accurate, but not objective. In other words, the okay. people are living in the time and using the language they would have at the time, but the conversations are... Uh, created, right? And so, so there are times when we know that we're living in a simulation, and that all makes perfect sense to me. Uh, e even when you're watching a very vivid movie, or I guess even when you're in a video game, right? You are in the brain of some level designer and someone who created the physics of the application, and so on. So, there are times when we know that we are in a simulation, a dreaming, art, video games, and so on. Yeah. Now, and even even if somebody's telling, just sitting there telling a very compelling story, you know, Graham Norton's show in the UK has, of course, all these very charismatic, charismatic actors on who have, you know, their three proven publicity stories, and they tell those stories very well. 
And that's kind of a simulation as well, in that we, we laugh and cry based upon the story, and it's not real, and it didn't happen to us, but it hits us emotionally. So you're taking a thesis, which everybody accepts that there are some times where we live in a simulation, the most vivid being dreaming. But you're okay. saying that, that, that a dream at night is functionally or fundamentally the same as our waking life, in that the dream is a simulation, but our waking life is also a simulation, and in a sense, we never get to wake up. If that's what I understand by what you mean, then that's a thesis that needs to be uh, defended or, or make, okay. made the case of, right? All right. So what I think the distinction that I'm making is that uh, there's utility in, in making these simula simulations. And uh, whatever, like, we don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of Kantian in the sense of that we don't have direct access to um, objective reality. That we we have sense and you could we have senses that bring in this bring in information and then we have a way of interpreting that information and what we create is a model of the world. So uh, that model of the world isn't uh, is a short time we can say it's 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 well it's our experience of objective reality, but it's not the the sum of objective reality and it, it's it's. Uh, it, it it's a filter it's it's filtered reality and much of what is out there we have no um uh no understanding of, we, we have no understanding or even awareness of because we we need to to make sense of it we'd have to just grab onto a little bit of of objective reality and sort of make sense of that and we have utility there's there's utility in doing that making that that story and making that sense of of what part of objective reality we have access to so what part of, because you and I, in this conversation, we are using objective reality as the medium by which we conduct our discussion. Would you agree? At least what we describe as objective reality, right? Yeah. I mean, we're using, we're also using language in our experience, our shared experience for that. Well, no, well. sorry, so, just pri prior to the language stuff, we are yeah. using, uh, you have a microphone, you may have a headset, we are using physics, sound waves, uh, and so are our auditory canals, and, and you name it, right? The little tiny hairs in the middle of your ear that give you the sound and so on, right? Right. So we are using all of the properties of objective reality in order to have this discussion. Yeah. So that's where I'd like to start. So okay. what part of our discussion is not real? or would you consider to be not real? And I'm not talking about the subjective interpretation of words and so on. I mean, of course, words have objective meanings, but you can certainly haggle over the borders of definitions, and that's part of what philosophy is, and truth and virtue and honor, all these sorts of things, right? So I don't mean the brain language side of things. What I mean is the objective physics of it, the fact that if I communicate the word widget to you, that the physics that are used to transmit that word, I mean the science, the technology, the physics, is that objective or is that something that is part of the subjective universe? In other words, can you make up what I say and it be perfectly valid or are you constrained by what I say uh, based upon the physics? And again, we can argue about meanings, but if I say the word widget, we yeah. can argue about what a widget is, but we have to at least, I think, understand that it's W-I-D-G-E-T or something like that, right? So... In the physics of how we're communicating, is it objective? Uh, 
yes, it's it's the yes, it's subjective, but it's everything is is going through our subjective filters, and all and that's and that's a muddling factor that makes it very difficult for us to completely separate the uh, objective and subjective. And that okay, so that's, sorry, that's let me just go back here for a sec. I'm sorry. sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me just go back here for a sec. So subjective filters. So if I say the word widget, do you hear the word widget? And can you repeat that word back to me? Widget. Okay. Yeah. So is there any subjective filter in my expressing the word and you repeating it back? Yes. Okay, so good. So because it seems to me that I said the word widget, it transmitted itself to you objectively, you received it through an objective medium of sound waves and so on. You repeated the word back to me. And yeah. you repeated the word back accurately to me that we both said the word widget, and yeah. I assume we agree on the spelling W I D G E T. So tell me where in the simple transmission and return the echo of the word widget, the subjective experience is. Well, a big part of any communication is not just what you're paying attention to, but what you're filtering out. So when you say the word widget, you're actually making all sorts of other sounds like breathing sounds and uh, you may have um, like a, uh, we we had some singing at the beginning of of the uh, 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 just before we started recording, and uh, there's actual uh, tones and notes. And in English, we don't actually have uh, tonal semantics, but they do in, in languages like uh, like Chinese. So uh, it's actually very difficult for English speakers to learn Chinese uh, because they're not used to information being transferred by the the tone or the of of what people are saying uh at, at least semantic meaning information so that's something that you're filtering out and you know, if you actually want to learn chinese you have to break a big part of learning chinese is then you breaking that english filter of then paying learning to pay attention to meaning where you don't usually expect it and i'm just using that as as an example of how um even when something as seems as trivial as as the word widget, um, it's what we're paying attention to is also uh, a big part of 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 being able to interpret that and understand that is also knowing what not to pay attention to. All right. Do you agree that I was able to express the word widget to you? You were able to repeat it back to me, and we agree on the spelling. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's objective, right? Um, or the objective medium we both share allowed us to accurately. Because listen, if you can make up whatever you want, I'm not going to debate with you. I'm, 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 what I'm trying to do is figure out if it's worth debating with you. Okay. And and by that, well, I don't mean relative to your intelligence, which is obviously very high, or relative to your verbal skills, or even relative to your goodwill. You may, yeah. of course, have perfectly wonderful goodwill when it comes to this debate. But yeah, if you can make up meanings based upon what I'm saying, and this is why at the very beginning I said, Basically, okay. were you aware that I asked you for a particular process, which is to define um, the the argument for the subjective universe or the, the simulation? And you okay. went on as if I hadn't said anything. That's kind of a warning shot to me because you're All not right. acknowledging that I've asked for something. And, and it's fine. You know, I can say, give me a million dollars, and you can say, hell no. <laughs> right? That's totally fine. But... If and I, I can't agree on the words that we're going to use and that there's an objective okay. medium by which we exchange them, then I'm arguing with someone. Like, I don't know if you've ever had a lucid dream uh, yeah. where you're aware that you're dreaming. 
it changes your behavior within the dream. Like if you're arguing with someone and in the dream you think it's real and then halfway towards waking or through whatever process it happens, you end up going, gosh, this is not real. Yeah. Then you change your behavior, right? Because yeah. you realize that you're never going to win an argument in a dream. The only thing you can do is, is learn from it in a sense, right? So oh. that's why I'm trying to ask about do we have a way of transferring objective sounds to each other? Because if we don't, this, then you're, you're oh. arguing with a dream. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. I agree with you there. And I, I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm not, uh, uh, disagree, like disagreeing that like, as you say, like that we have, um, object, we have means of communicating and, um, and objectively in what we describe as the objective world, right. And as, 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 as what we have to, because it's what we, what we have access to, we are communicating. So I'm not, um, it, I'm not uh, disputing that at all. Like I, I and I, I want to make sure that we ha we do. Like if you, we need to have common co common terms, and we have to have have a, have a common understanding of the world if we're going to have have you know this conversation go forward. But I'm okay, just, so and the, I'm, so the aspect, sorry, the aspect, the physical aspect of objective reality that we're using to transmit the sound waves to have this conversation is not part of a simulation. Is that, is that fair? Because if it was part of a simulation, yes. well, then okay. it could be changed en route and we could end up completely talking past yes. each other, right? Okay. Yeah. No, we, yes, we have, we're, we're definitely, you're, we, we, we definitely can, can be communicated there and we use objective reality as that medium. My only, my only, like the only caveat I'm trying to make is that we, we're both, uh, we're both, are, are, we're, uh, we, we're both using our experiences to filter that. And in a lot of these, um, I, I think that a lot of discussions fall up, fall apart because uh, we 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 tend to really try and make objective and subjective discrete um, when there's uh, when when it when it when it's the reality is a little messier than that, and I think that we're we're ending we're entering a place in society where we need a way to deal with that messiness better. Okay, so. The argument you're making, if I can characterize it, and obviously tell me where I've gone astray, it's a, it's a fairly common argument, which is not to say it's not interesting or valid. And the argument is things are complex. Well, and I mean, it's, I'm, it's, I, I'm I gotta tell you, it's not yeah. so far, it's not a whole lot more than that. Okay. It's like you're saying, okay, there's objective stuff in the world, but we also have our own subjective interpretations, which is, of course, I mean, that's not. That's not adding much, of course. I mean, we, I'm glad we established the objective side of things. But, uh, yeah, of course we have subjective interpretations. If we didn't have subjective interpretations, A, we wouldn't be human beings, and B, there would be no need for science or philosophy or nutrition or any of the disciplines which aim to override subjective preferences with objective facts, right? So if you want to make a, a statement about reality, then you're taking yourself out of the subjective realm. And if you say objects accelerate towards the Earth at 9.8 meters per second per second acceleration, okay, well, then you've made an objective claim. And you go and measure it and so on. And, you know, you'll have slight variations because of turbulence and air pressure and so on. But for the most part, you'll end up roughly in that cluster of 9.8 meters per second per second or whatever it is, right? Or if you say, I don't know, the sun is eight light minutes away from the Earth or the, the moon is a quarter light second away from the Earth and so on. Okay, well, you can measure these things, light 186,000 miles a second. So you're trying to take things out of 
the subjective and put them into the objective through the scientific method. And of course, the same thing is occurring in the realm of philosophy. Uh, what is real, what is true, what is good. Uh, these are all things that people have subjective opinions about. And so you're talking to a philosopher and saying, we have subjective opinions, but there is objective reality, which is, of course, the whole reason I became a philosopher in the first place. So it's, and the reason I say it's kind of commonplace is it's like you're going to a guy who's been a doctor for 30 years and you're saying, so doc, what I want to get across to you is that there's health and also that there's illness. And, and health is better than illness and it's really, really important to try and cure illness, to which the doctor, frankly, is just going to roll his eyes. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, there's not really bringing much and everybody knows that. And so there are, and I'm, I'm not trying to diminish what you're saying. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, maybe this is a starting place and all of that. But yeah. the argument yeah. from complexity saying, well, there's objective reality and there's subjective opinion and sometimes the two overlap, it's like, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, children of three know that, right? So okay. if, if one child, child takes another child's toy, the other child will go to the authority figure and say, so-and-so took my toy, right? Knowing that it was objective, that the toy was his, quote, property in the moment if he was using it, that the other kid shouldn't have taken it, that the adult will recognize the reality, that, that sound works, that auditory canals work, that language works, that the adult is going to try and solve the problem or get the toy back. All of what you're saying here, and, and he has a subjective preference to keep the toy, and the other kid has a subjective but unjust preference to take the toy. All of this, all of what you're saying is kind of understood by a toddler, and again, I'm not trying to diminish you or, or be mean or insult you or anything like that, but uh, these, if, if, a, if a toddler can solve this problem, I think we're going to need to take this debate to a bit of a higher level because if you're going to spend 10 minutes of my time telling me that there's objective truth but there's subjective interpretation, uh, I feel that we're not quite working at the same level, if that makes sense. Well, I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm also trying to establish some some common ground here. Like you, like you said, like we, we're going to have a, a, a debate, like a debate about these things when you sort of like, you know, have to. No, but if look, come on, man. If but, you if you want to, this is an advanced course, right? You've okay. For a while, we have lots of experienced people listening. I've been doing philosophy for you know over thirty years, so you don't start like if you're going to present a complex topic at a medical conference, you don't spend fifteen minutes lecturing people that health is better than illness and that there's such a thing as illness. Okay. And right, you, they'd be like, come on, man. <laughs> Maybe you'll say that. I don't know. Uh, you wouldn't even say that to introductory medical students because the only reason they're there is because they already recognize that stuff. So let's assume that everybody here knows that there's objective truth and that there's subjective interpretation, and that's the whole reason why we're, we're talking. So uh, I guess I'm just trying to hit the gas a little here. Okay, so can we get out of subjective interpretation? How do we get out of subject subjective interpretation? Is there is there can we do we have direct access to objective objectivity? Well, why do we want to get out of subjective interpretation for some things? Subjective interpretation is a, is a wonderful thing. Particular yeah. kinds of music, particular kinds of art, uh, literature, and so on, these are subjective interpretations to some degree, and that's part of what makes life great. So I don't want to get out of subjective interpretation, if that makes sense. Now, if somebody's making a truth claim about objective reality, then yeah, it needs to be tested. And the way we test it is because objective reality is universal, non-contradictory, consistent, and conforms to the laws of rationality, then if somebody's making a statement about objective reality, then the first thing they need to do is make sure that the statement is logically consistent, because logic is derived from the objective behavior of matter that we experience through the evidence of our senses. And so if somebody's making a truth statement not 
I like this sunset, which is a subjective claim, but the sun is a giant nuclear bomb that's 93 million miles away from the earth or whatever, then okay, so now they've gone from subjective interpretation, They're moved, they've moved out into the realm of objective fact, and the first thing we need to do is make sure that what they're saying is logically consistent. In other words, it obeys Aristotle's basic three laws of logic and so on. And so if somebody says the sun is both 93 million miles away from the earth and inside the earth at the same time, uh, if somebody was truly serious about that, we would view that as a significant sign of mental illness or somebody making a very bad joke or something like it. We wouldn't take that at all seriously. We wouldn't, we wouldn't sit there and say, well, you know, it could be the case that the sun is both 93 million miles away from the earth and also buried inside the earth. It could be that it's in two places at the same time. It could also be that the sun, which is vastly larger than the earth, is somehow inside the earth at the same time as it's away and, and so on, right? I mean, we would dismiss that claim as violating the laws yeah. of logic, right? So, so that's, and we wouldn't test it, right? Now, if somebody's statement about reality conforms to the laws of logic, then... Mm -hmm. Uh, then we would start to test it. Uh, if it was important, right? If it was important, right? I mean, yeah. somebody, you know, Bertrand Russell's old example of the teapot floating around Mars. It's like, yeah, there could be a teapot floating around Mars. But, I, you know, no country is going to spend trillions of dollars sending a spaceship out to scan for teapots around Mars because it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. the likelihood of there being a teapot around Mars is virtually nil. And even if there was, I mean, I guess it would matter insofar as how the hell did it get there, but it doesn't matter in terms of the laws of physics. So, so is it logically consistent? Is it important? And if both of those things are true, then people may start investing energy to test the theory about things in the real world and see if the hypothesis or the conjecture conforms to what's in the real world, which is the scientific method of testing and reproducibility and objectivity. You know, rather than noting down your impressions, you'll use a spectrometer or something like that or some measure of objective reality. And so there is subjective, and that's a wonderful part of life. There is objective, and that is a wonderful part of life, and it's what we're using to communicate. And the way that you would test between the two is logical consistency followed by empirical testing. Okay, and, and that's fair. So I guess my follow-up question would be, um, would you agree with the statement that everyone believes contradictory things to some degree? Everybody believes contradictory things to some degree. Like no, no person is completely consistent in their beliefs. What would that look like? What standard? What standard do you have that human beings are failing to meet? So tell me what it would look like to be perfectly consistent in all your beliefs. Well, I mean, you would essentially be the objective Ubermensch, like the master of reason, where you're, like you're, because you, you said that we are completely to. You, you judge um, objective reality by by consistency and and, and relevance. So you or no, that's not what I said. No, sorry, just just to be clear, that's not what I said. I don't judge objective reality by consistency and evidence. Consistency and evidence because objective reality is already consistent. Okay, right. So what I do is if if people make and this is part of why you got to listen carefully, right? So what I said was if people make truth claims about objective reality that are important then okay. people will probably test them for logical consistency and then they will test them for empirical accuracy. Like, you know, years, decades ago, these guys said, oh, we've, we've created fusion in a jar. Okay, 
well, uh, they, uh, their, their science had some soundness to it. It wasn't obviously completely ridiculous. And obviously, it was hugely important as a potential energy source. So it was that the theory had value, and it certainly was important. And so, you know, half the scientific community dove into trying to figure out whether it was possible to have this fusion in a jar that these scientists claimed, and it turned out that it wasn't. And so the theory was abandoned and, and so on, right? So, yeah, there's a, people are making a claim. It is rationally consistent to a large degree, or at least enough to get scientists in, interested. It is hugely important, so people tried to find it out, and the theory is now as false as did Milli Vanilli do their own singing, right? <laughs> Sorry, ancient, ancient reference by now, I suppose. So, no, I don't judge objective reality by those standards. Those standards are arrived by the objective behavior of matter. Okay, so... Um, so, so then how do you... So, okay, so you're let's, saying sorry, that... let's go back. You had a question, which which I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose track of that. This was just sort of my, a pretty yeah, significant yeah. correction. So you said, is is there, do people believe contradictory yes. things? Yeah. And I need to know by what measure. It's because it's, what you do is you're saying to me, are people short? And it's like, okay, well, by by what measure? Are they short relative to giraffes? Well, yeah. Are they short relative to ants? Uh, no. Right, so you have to have a standard of measure if you're going to create a deviation from a standard, right? And so okay. if you're going to say, do human beings believe contradictory things, I need to know by what standard you're measuring that in order to know. Because if it's impossible for human beings to not believe contradictory things, which I think it is, and maybe we can get into that, then you've created an impossible standard by which to judge, or an irrelevant standard by which to judge humanity. Which is okay, so you're that, saying it's, uh, it's irrelevant. That okay, I, okay. No, it, no, it's not. Not it's 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 certainly relevant whether people believe contradictory things. But if you have a standard that no human being can achieve, then yeah. it's not a reasonable. Like if you're saying, well, human beings are short because they're not twenty feet tall. It's like, well, no human being is twenty feet, so it's not a valid standard to judge humanity by. So I just want to know what what it would look I, like to not have any contradict. Like if you can step me through what's well, short. I I and I'm. I'm not seeing that as a flaw, though. I'm seeing it as as a utility, as as an as an necessity. And it's it's and it's and I, I'm just bringing up the observation, and I think that we're we're agreeing here that people believe um, contradictory things, and it would be it would be it would be an unreasonable standard for people to to expect people not to believe contradictory things. And I think that the reason for that is is because um, there is utility in us um, believing contradictory things in the interim, right? That we have to, we actually have to, okay, have to sorry. move through the world and, again, and make... You, you, sorry to interrupt. You can deny my request. You can fulfill my request. Please don't ignore my request. Okay, so... So what would it look like for... What would a human being look like who had no contradictory beliefs? How would, how would you know that this standard had been achieved? I don't think it's it's possible for a person to achieve that standard. I don't okay, think I, imagine, I don't think it's I, I don't think standard, it's right? consistent with consciousness. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. So let's imagine that standard, right? Because if you say, well, human beings are short relative to giraffes. Okay. Well, what would it look like if they were tall relative to giraffes, or they'd be thirty feet tall, or whatever? We, so even if we say it's an uh, unachievable standard or an unachievable goal, then just but help me understand what it would look like because I don't know what it would look like for a human being to have no contradictory beliefs. I'm not sure I understand that standard. So if we can imagine a human being who would have no contradictory beliefs, how would you know? How could you tell? 
and and, and I'm 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 agreeing with you that, and I think it, it's it's a flawed question, just like the idea of what would uh what what would a perfectly tall person be, right? Uh, like you you use the the idea of of a giraffe and a human, and saying, well, what what height is the standard? Well, I'm saying like if the I I am trying to say that the idea of a um uh, the idea of a perfectly objective and rational person would be the same as sort of like a perfectly tall person. And I, I don't think there is a standard for a perfectly tall person. So in the same way, because... So you know, you're, you're asking me to judge human beings by a standard that you don't believe is valid? Or to I, evaluate, even if you say don't judge. You're asking me to evaluate human beings by a standard you don't think is valid? No, I don't. I don't want you to evaluate it by that that standard. I'm I'm saying that it, it's it's because people have to. You can say the limits of the universe are such that people can only be so tall, and do all the thing, other things that people have to be, uh, do. And it, it limits of, of our um. Our our cognition, our co our cognitive ability are such that people can only be so in line with be be so rational and be so um like be so intelligent uh and and so in sync we can say or so objective uh but th there's there's limits on that on 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 their ability to do so like you could say intellectual limits perception limits so that's why they necessarily have to think or they have to to a degree uh think uh contradictory things or because they can only be so rational just as they could only be so tall well is is it irrational or is it failing to meet the standard let's say you know when you're a kid just about everybody believes that the world is flat like when you're very little right because yeah. it looks that way right but believing that the world is flat is not an irrational belief based upon the evidence you have when you're a kid a little kid right now, when you get older, and I, I remember well, very vividly learning this, you know, the world is round, and but, like looking at a ball of the earth and the sky, and everybody has the same thoughts, like, well, gosh, why, why aren't people falling off like there's some other gravity well outside the earth center or something like that, right? And so is it considered irrational if you hold a particular belief that conforms with the available evidence, and then you get new or better evidence, and you refine or change your belief to accommodate the new evidence, and now everyone accepts that the world is largely a sphere rather than a sort of flat tabletop. And so is would that be a failure to achieve perfect rationality if you abandon prior beliefs that seemed rational at the time in favor of new evidence? So um, it, it wouldn't be a failure of rationality as, as a process, but it if you were making the, the, the truth claim that... Uh, like it was, if a three-year-old was a primitive, was a primitive scientist of sorts, making the truth claim that the world was flat, was it, and and there was no contradictory evidence at the time. Would have would you have considered then that his observation the world was flat objectively true? And now that there's new information, the world is is in someone else has made another hypothesis, and now the claims that the the world is is a is a spheroid or or round to some degree then. That that person, this this new truth claim is is now objective, and the previous truth claim was no, 
no longer objective or, or well, no, was, no, hang on. was so, the child so, mistaken? No, we're not talking about the objective truth claims. We're talking about the subjective process of irrationality. Is it if somebody refined, look, I've, I've been doing this for 15 years and I yeah. have adapted and refined and advanced certain hypotheses. Absolutely. I've abandoned other hypotheses. I mean, of course, that's, that's the process. Be, it would be no fun to do it if I was simply repeating the same thing over and over and, and never process new evidence and never advance new arguments. So where I have changed my mind, and of course I have an entire series of videos called I Was Wrong About dot dot dot, is that an example to you? In other words, if I was perfectly rational, would I never be wrong? Um, if you were perfectly rational, would you, would you never be wrong? Uh, no, but you'd, you'd, you'd be in discordant with, with objective reality to some degree for your entire life, right? Just because, of course, of course, yeah. but but if because we're not omniscient, right? Which is why yeah. we're having this debate. If we were omniscient, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think that, omniscience right? makes sense as a as as a concept. I don't think it's, uh, I I I don't think it's meaningful. No, it makes sense as a concept. It's knowing everything, right? And it just whether it's achievable, whether it's logically contradictory, that's it's, another yeah. topic. It's, but it's, it's logically it's contradictory. A comprehensible what, concept, right? Well, so does it require omniscience to be perfectly rational? In the formulation you're putting forward, no, 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 no. Okay, so that's good, right? Um, that is yeah. that means that you have a standard that's not a giraffe relative to a human being, because human beings can't possess or, or, or achieve ever omniscience, right? So then, I guess my question then is, how do you know if somebody is holding contradictory? beliefs because we don't want to have that just as an axiom a priori like it's just that's just the way things are and we could just move on i genuinely and i don't mean this in any hostile way i mean i'm genuinely curious yeah. i mean obviously if somebody says two and two make five okay that's a contradictory belief because they've defined four and five as the same thing which violates the law of identity blah 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 right so i get all of that and that that we can see and that we can tell but i guess i would know i would want to know how you would tell if somebody held contradictory beliefs, other than the blindingly obvious, which we wouldn't need philosophy for, right? Because we're trying to detect a subtle illness here, not a guy's walking into the ER with his arm in his hand, right? <laughs> Fell off or something or came off. So how would you know that somebody held contradictory beliefs? Well, uh, here's one example. Let's go back to our three-year-old child with the, the flat earth. Um, if... That that let's say that that child uh, child's father went on a a, a trip to uh, trip to Japan or China, and um, his mother explained to the child, "Oh well, we can't call daddy now because uh, it's it's night where daddy is, and it's morning there." So then the child then has a concept of of time zones, but and that's um, inconsistent with the child's idea that the world is flat. But the child would probably for quite some time um have both have those those com completely uh those those inconsistent facts in their mind before they can at, at at some some event or or some reflection causes them to reconcile it into some idea of of a of a round world so right that, that, okay so, so, so that's yeah so that's that, that's contradictory information yeah. Uh, the the idea of the world being flat does not I, accord with the idea of day in one place and nighttime in the other, right? So okay, yeah. so that's that's good. Okay, so if somebody uh, now that is 
in accordance with two facts, right? So the world looks flat, and the other fact is that it's nighttime where daddy is, it's daytime here. And of course, the mother could, you know, bring out a tennis ball and explain the whole uh, situation and so on, right? So, okay, there's an example of contradictory, uh, of a contradictory idea. The, the moment, of course, comes when the child first has the thought that these two things don't match or what he does with that thought. Now, if what he does with that thought is just wish it away, then that's not good. If he, what he does with that thought is go to his mom and say, if she didn't explain it, I go to his mom and say, hey, how can it be nighttime where daddy is if the world is flat? And she'd say, oh, no, honey, the world's not flat, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So it's certainly not a deficiency on his part to believe the world is flat when he's three years old because it does yeah. accord with all of the evidence that has presented itself to his mind, right? Which is, it sure looks flat to me, right? And, yeah. and you wouldn't think you're living on a giant ball and so on, right? So it's not, because uh, what I want to know, so uh, people holding irrational, anti-rational ideas, certainly in the realm of philosophy and generally is a pejorative. Like nobody ever says, so-and-so's ideas are completely irrational and they don't mean it as a compliment. Like it's always a negative. There's an implicit or implied judgment that's pretty, pretty clear and obvious, right? So uh, that's sort of my question. I don't like irrationality. Anti-rationality is even worse. Uh, you know, irrationality is, is fine because we are all irrational relative to future knowledge and all of that. But anti-rationality as a sort of commitment or a, a perspective uh, or a, um, an approach uh, is really, really toxic. So irrationality is a negative. And I guess that's my question. If you're going to say everybody holds irrational ideas, then I guess I just needed to know what the well, standard is. Because I, if you're going I, to judge I, everyone I, as deficient, I need to know. I guess it's the old question of philosophy okay. here compared to what? Well, I, I'm trying to say that they everyone holds in, in inconsistent ideas. Like they, so their model of the world is is flawed, and and that is because we need to get stuff done, and we only we don't have time to reflect on on every single idea or 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 fact about the world that we come across. So we so there's a there's a utility barrier. So they, so for a while, at some at some amount of time the kid is going to have like this idea that the world is flat because it you know it, it helps him play with with the, the ball and the toys in his room but he's also going to have this idea that um i can't call daddy during during the day at lunchtime because he's sleeping then because it's night where he is so uh it, and and because there's that that utility barrier that we're, we're living creatures we're mortals that we, we're only going to live so long and we, we have to um, manage our time, manage our, our our cognitive resources. Think about the things that are important and and not important. That we're we're always going to be in this. Uh, we're always going to be sort of stuck in our our own model of the world, right? So we'll have some we'll know some objective facts, and those will be hard won truths, and they'll they'll make us better people and more um, and and more in line with with reality and and better think in in a sense more powerful. And, and better to engage in the world, but um, we're not going to have uh, complete access, is, is what I'm saying. And I, I don't think, uh, I, I, I don't think that's, that's it, sorry. So, um, so, I mean, sorry to interrupt. Here's, so here's what happens. You kind of drop these bombs in like it ain't no thing. Okay. And you're not, and, and this strikes me as like, I'm somewhat sneaky. Right, okay. which is which, you know, you just, we're we're all stuck in our own subjective models of the world. Like okay. you just throw that in, like it's an obvious thing, and that's begging the question. Like we're trying to figure that out, yes, right? I understand. And and you kind of jump to the conclusion of the entire debate without. I don't know if you're conscious or not. If you're, 
aware. Well, I, I, I don't know if you're say, aware I, that you're doing that. Yeah, I, I, I apologize. I was trying to. I, I'm bringing my my frame in, and that's unfair of me. You, you. Thank you for calling me out on. No, that. it's not a frame. That, that's that's a fundamental statement about our yeah. capacity to process reality, which is the entire basis of my life's work. Okay. So again, I'm I'm <laughs> telling you uh, that uh, I have an emotional attachment, right? Because I, you know, want to yeah. be honest uh, about that. I'm talking yeah. about confirmation bias and so on. But if you say to me, well, we're all stuck in our own subjective universe, oh, basically. I, well, then you're saying that my entire life's work has been uh, sophistry, falsehood, a lie, okay. whatever you want to say. Well, now, I, it, hang on, hang on, let me finish. Now, so if you're right, if you're right, okay, that's important. I guess I need to give up what it is that I'm doing and, and go be a pole dancer or something. But <laughs> I, I'm just saying that if you're going to try and drop those conclusions in, okay. then you're basically going to a medical conference and saying, you guys are all con artists because there's no such thing as sickness and health. And, you know, right. people are going to push back pretty hard about, <laughs> about that, right? I mean, I'm going to push back pretty fucking hard about this one too because okay. you're just kind of dropping this stuff in, which is what we're actually trying to establish, which makes my entire life a lie. And, and yeah, again, uh, I, I, the fact that that is on the table is, is doesn't offend me. It doesn't offend me that you may be saying to some degree, Steph, your entire life is a lie. That doesn't offend me because I'm committed to the truth. And if the truth yeah. is that there is no truth, which of course is so contrary, I'm not saying that, right? I'm not so I'm trying that. to drag people out of subjective experience into objective truth, objective yeah. morality, uh, objective reality, uh, objective facts, uh, objective existence, and um, it's called universally preferable behavior. There's a hint that it's not subjective, right? Uh, my my whole approach to ethics and and yeah. my whole approach to peaceful parenting and nonviolence against children and so on, right? So I have for my entire public existence and even my private existence before that, been saying to people who are aggressive towards children, that's wrong and immoral, and I'm going to tell you why. And it's not yeah. subjectively right, it's not subjectively wrong, it's objectively wrong and immoral. And because of that, you know, people have said to abusive parents who won't reform and won't change, they've said, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore because you're an immoral uh, person who won't repent and won't apologize and so on, right? Now, if I've been entirely wrong about all of that, in other words, if everyone's stuck in their own subjective perceptions, there's no such thing as universal, there's no such thing as objective, there's no such thing as truth, then I have, oddly enough, done great ill in the world by claiming, it would be like saying, oh, that the cause of epilepsy is demonic possession. Well, mm -hmm. not, not only has that made people suffering from an illness liable to theological or moral attack as being nests of demonic vipers in their soulless, godless, sinful self, but it's also prevented robust medical research into the origins of epilepsy with a potential cure and so on. So by demonizing people, I have actually done a great, great ill. By, by claiming that there's objective morality, objective good and evil, if I'm wrong about that, and I don't mean wrong in a, oh, this argument, you know, your argument for the proof of this or that needs some tweaking or something, but if I'm fundamentally wrong about that, that there's no such thing as universality, as <clears throat> objectivity, as, as truth, and so on, which, you know, when you say, well, we're all stuck in our own subjective perceptions, then I'm just telling you that's, um, I mean, you poke in a hornet's nest in my heart, which doesn't mean anything other than okay. I'm just going to be frank with you that uh, we are now kind of squaring off. You know, I've, I, I'm always interested in debates. It's like, okay, we're going to have participative thing, or is it going to be more of a squaring off, like more of a, a combat thing? Okay. And because you're slipping in these like wild conclusions that invalidate or actually turn from good to evil my entire existence and public persona and, and arguments 
like we're kind of I'm staring at you across the ring now and I'm I'm putting on some boxing gloves. I'm just going to be frank with you about that cuz no, you know no, I don't that's need to come out of and nowhere. I, so uh, but yeah. go ahead. Okay. And um I I'm I'm a little surprised that I'm 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 invoking that reaction, but I I, I may just mean lack of care on the language on my part. Um as a po- uh, but where I'm I I I could still argue that like you can you can still be that there's 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 better and worse without perfect right so even if we don't have uh we we don't have perfect act like we don't have all this objective truth at, at hand we can still have better models and worse models uh for how the world works so um even well, no, though the world we certainly is can't sorry we certainly can't if we're stuck in our subjective perceptions in other words if we are fundamentally subjective and interpretation is all and uh, you know uh, we can't gain access as you pointed out which i do want to ask about like what does it mean to gain access to objective reality then if we are all stuck in our subjective perceptions then better or worse uh, becomes it's like saying did you have a better uh, did you have a more accurate or less accurate dream right could you understand like if if i said oh i had a dream about such and such last night would you say, okay, would you say that that dream is more or less accurate about the world? Now, you could okay. say there could be archetypes, there could be self-knowledge to be gained out of that dream, but it wouldn't make any sense to say, is that dream better or worse? Is it true or false? Is it more accurate or less accurate? It's basically saying, is your dream more objective or less objective. Well, if it's a dream, none of those standards would apply. And if we're all stuck in our own subjective perceptions, then better or worse make no sense. Well, earlier on, you said that um, we were, uh, that you didn't want to banish subjectivity completely. And uh, I, what, what, what I'm trying to argue is that you can still have a, a, a model of the world that is, is better or worse than the model you had previously. Okay, compared to what? Well, you say it's better or worse compared to what? Well, it's more in line with uh, the it, it. It would be better because it's more in line with the objective world. Um, even though the, a perfect alignment is 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 impossible within the objective world is is impossible. Being more having your uh, your model have more utility, like it 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 has more explanatory power, power about the objective world. Than a model so it would be for empirical, example, hang on, it, sorry, it would be empirical, not prescriptive. In other words, it would be an after-the-fact evaluation, like a pragmatism, right? Utilitarianism or pragmatism, which is you basically throw a whole lot of shit against the wall and see what sticks. Like you try a whole bunch of things. Uh, we want to solve the problem of poverty. Okay, so let's try the welfare state. Let's try uh, charity. Let's try uh, pro bono. Let's try uh, universal basic income. Let's try the free market. Let's just try a bunch of stuff and then experiment like crazy and see what works is that is that what you mean in terms of you would evaluate things relative to the world as a whole um i i'm saying that it would uh i i'm not really understanding uh what what you're meaning with that i'm saying that like i yeah you have you have an idea of how the world works like and and it's it's hard like just that's not just um what what's in your mind, but it's also performative. Like you you know, if you're walking with your feet, uh, you 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 don't expect to to float off of the planet. Like you have 
expectations about the world and 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 it's it's uh and and because you have you've you've had these experiences you've you have you've you've tested truth claims uh you you that increases your concordance with with reality and your ability to uh uh make things happen in the world around you right so, for example if you because you've you've done things before you you and so so there's an empirical aspect but there's also like you you you've you've created uh and through synthesis through reason and experience right you and logic you've you've created your uh, aspect your um your model of the world and it's and it, it's it's it not maybe not everything is perfectly in line with how the world actually is, but you've done you've uh, made you've it, it, because it is uh, to a, to a degree aligned. You can function in the world, and and things can happen, right? Is that now? Can you judge hypotheses ahead of time based upon rational consistency? As we sort of talked about earlier, if somebody says the sun is ninety three million miles away and also inside the Earth, would we dismiss that without testing? Well. I think that's the ultimate uh, test of a model is its predictive power, right? So, like, I think I no, no, but see, now, now we're back to empiricism, right? I'm not talking about predictive power. I'm talking about if a theory is self-contradictory, can it be dismissed out of hand? If a theory is self-contradictory, can it be dismissed out of hand? So, if I um, say the Earth is both made of rock and green cheese yes would you go and test it or would you say that's impossible and therefore it's false yes as a hypothesis we can yeah i'll, I'll go with that wait what do you mean you'll go with that yeah i, 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 agree. Wait, I, agree. I, I agree i agree i agree i agree if like yeah um i can't think of any any anything that that, that would make me disagree with that i think you're right okay fantastic it. okay so we're testing conceptual models against the laws of logic before we test empirical facts against results, right? So we, we dismiss with prejudice, like it's not going to be maybe tomorrow, the, the, the moon is both earth or rock and, and green cheese. We dismiss with prejudice forever across the universe for all time self-contradictory theories. Is that, is that a fair way to put it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, sorry, go ahead. I, I just say, like, like sometimes uh, we may uh, we may discover that one of our one of those our propositions are, are false, and then we won't discover that until we actually try to do something crazy or radical that's against that proposition. That that that, and then uh, we discover that that proposition is false, and that we've we've had some bad input, and you know we have to adjust our our expectations accordingly, but. In general, well, no, but that's only after the theory has passed the test of logical consistency. Okay, yeah, right. So, okay, so so that's great. So, as far as judging people's propositions, if those propositions are self-contradictory, then we know that those propositions are false. If if they're propositions about, like, I can say, oh, in my in my dream, the moon was both rock and green cheese. I can say that, and, and that happened in my dream. It, that's fine, because I'm not making a 
truth statement about reality. I'm saying this was my weird experience in my dream. Like we've all had those dreams where you can fly, right? You can fly over the earth, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you can't fly in the real world unaided. So I'm not making a truth claim about the objective world. I'm saying this, is, this crazy thing happened in my dream, right? So, But the moment somebody's making a truth claim about the world, the objective universe, if that truth claim is self-contradictory, we always and forever dismiss it right out of hand, right? Mm-hmm. Or we look for a, a, an ex, ex, explanation, right? That like we, if if there's some uh, if there's some evidence of a contradiction, right? Then we we look for some some other explanation. Like maybe both our propositions are false. Maybe the 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 moon isn't green cheese or or no, no, or I understand that. Or, of yeah. course, of course, of course. Yeah. But what I'm saying is. The proposition yeah. itself is discarded. Yeah, we, it, it may be that the moon is neither rock nor green cheese, or, or but it can't yeah. be both at the same time. That's yeah, we flag identity, it. We right? flag it as false and say there's, there's there's something wrong here. Okay, all right. So, um, would you also say that the same is true for moral propositions? In in other words, if somebody says, I mean, this is kind of a common one now, right? If somebody says racism is bad and all white people are racist, we understand that that's a contradiction, right? Because if racism is bad, the negative judgment without evidence of an entire race and all individuals who comprise it, actually any negative judgment about any race that comprises all individuals is is racist, right? Because it's a negative judgment against what will obviously be a bell curve. So if somebody says racism is bad and all white people are racist, is that a valid moral proposition? Yeah, well, because you're throwing in those those extra propositions, like so, so the actual statement isn't itself racist, then we can um, dismiss it out of hand. Okay, so that can be so. dismissed out of hand. If somebody says that theft, which is the threatened or forcible transfer of property against someone's will, if theft is wrong, but taxation is good, when taxation is the threatened or violent removal of property against somebody's will, then can that moral proposition also be dismissed out of hand? It's well, it's it's flagged as inconsistent. So, um, well, not inconsistent. Yeah, I, I, as, as as like like because you're you're saying. You're putting these things both in the same category, so you're if yeah. So I mean, I, 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 I see the argument. I, I know, but at the same time, like he, the the difficulty is there's going to be lots of people who don't agree with you. No, right? that's not the difficulty. That's the point. I mean, nobody really argues much about slavery anymore because nobody in the West, at least, accepts the moral validity of slavery. So saying it's a problem because a lot of people believe a moral contradiction. That's I mean. That's the whole reason why you would deal with it, right? There's not not yeah. a lot of nutritionists who say don't eat seagull poop because almost nobody eats seagull poop, right? So it's not an issue. But they may say don't eat junk food because there are you know hundreds of millions of people addicted to junk food, right? So the mm-hmm. fact that it is something that is widely accepted is exactly why you would uh, you would deal with it, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, um. So, so you're, yeah, because now we're getting into the whole objective morality stuff, right? Well, no, see, now, no, so far, no. So okay. far, we're simply evaluating statements put forward by people 
to check them for logical consistency, right? Okay. So if if someone's, um, yeah. So the way, so the statements you've made are are contradictory. Yes. Okay. So, or to take a third one, we say hitting people is bad. Hitting defenseless people who can't fight back or escape is even worse. But spanking children is good, right? These would be contradictory moral statements, right? And we wouldn't need uh, empirical data to reject or repudiate those and say, that is an invalid, that is an incorrect proposition. And because it's in the realm of morality, if you put forward an incorrect proposition, you're not just wrong, you're immoral. I'm not saying that you're evil, evil, but you're certainly immoral, right? And so if we just look at these three statements, one regarding racism, one regarding taxation, one regarding spanking, if you and I both agree that people who put forward those propositions, they are wrong, but may exist in a state of nature. In other words, they don't know how wrong they are. Because, you know, it's like if you hear a constant sound, you stop hearing it after a while, right? And if you believe something is true, you'll stop examining it after a while. You know, not everybody does the Archimedes test of whether the world is round or flat by sticking two sticks at the ground a thousand miles apart and seeing what the difference in the shadow is, right? Maybe we just, we've got to move on. As you say, we've got to get things done in our life. So somebody may be putting forward arguments that are contradictory and they don't really notice it because it's so common, uh, it's, it's generally accepted. They get praised for saying contradictory things. They would get punished for saying non-contradictory things, as I can certainly testify and <laughs> attest to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in the realm of morality, you and I have agreed that people who make self-contradictory statements in the realm of ethics are wrong but may exist in a state of nature. When that error is pointed out, they shift from being wrong to being immoral if they don't reform their arguments. So right now, there's nothing else that we need to talk about, and I'll tell you why. Because you just got handed your entire life's work, as was handed my entire life's work, that we are certainly in the world not at all short of people making self-contradictory moral statements. And yeah. if you and I both agree that self-contradictory moral statements are wrong slash immoral, then you and I will not hit the grave. I mean, you're a younger man than I, sounds like by far, which is great. You've got more time mm -hmm. to fix things, right? Mm -hmm. But you and I will not hit the grave having eliminated these errors from the world. So this is great because I've taken you out of the realm of are we in a simulation and you yourself have agreed, and I'm not trying to catch you out or anything, I'm sort of pointing out the facts, that you yourself have agreed that we must work to eliminate self-contradictory moral statements, or at least if you want the world to be a good place, and if you're concerned about not just irrationality but anti-rationality, that you now have your life's work cut out for you, which is to Socratically examine, as I have, uh, and as you do as well, right? But Socratically examine people in the public square and say, oh, this is what you believe. Are your beliefs consistent? Are they logical? Do they hang together? Or are they self-contradictory? In which case you go from 
uh, possible severe wrongness to outright immorality, and you won't have to worry about the degree to which human beings have access to the objective universe. You won't need to worry about whether or not we exist in a simulation. You won't have, because now you have as your goal, if you're interested in truth and virtue and philosophy, you have as your goal the Socratic examination of moral beliefs to unravel contradictions and shift people from error to moral responsibility, which, by the way, they'll just hate you for. <laughs> yeah. just, it's the nature of the universe because a lot of people want to be right rather than uh, be, be honest and virtuous. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, I sort of cleared the way forward for your life's work if you're interested in philosophy, if that, if that helps. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and I, I, I think that this has been a good conversation, and I, I hope I haven't uh, squared off too, uh, too much against you there. But I think that, like, like it, I've, I've got a better understanding of, of, of where we are at, and I agree that, like, that's, I agree with your, with you wholeheartedly that getting people to, to be more consistent in their, their, their moral beliefs is, 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 is an admirable trait, admirable pursuit and and i'm glad that you do it that you take it on i'm i sometimes worry that like because you had so much resistance like is is there maybe a more pragmatic way to do it well um, i i hope that there is and i hope that you're the one because i don't think you quite got what a burden i put on you now <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i mean i think that uh you, you you still think this is some kind of intellectual debate you realize that i'm giving you intellectual arms in a battle here right and, yeah. and not by my orders, but by your own particular values, right? Because you mm -hmm. either take on the battle of examining and exposing anti-rational or irrational elements in people's moral thinking, or you abandon philosophy and retreat to some degree as a coward, right? Because now you know it's a necessary and important battle, but the moment that you realize the dangers of the battle, you, you flee. And I say this not in any, again, not in any hostile way or any negative way, but when I was talking about the people being shifted from a state of nature to moral responsibility, um, I'm talking about you. Because you have a lot of complicated questions with regards to philosophy, which are important. I've talked about them before, and I think that they're valuable. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't have time to unravel them because the world is getting kind of more immoral. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was yeah. a guy, a Russian guy on YouTube who live-streamed horrendous abuse of his girlfriend, and he had tens of thousands of subscribers and supporters, and everyone was fine. I guess YouTube was fine with that. And then eventually he poured water on her, drove her out in the middle of the Russian winter, out of his house, wouldn't let her back in. And she, uh, while pregnant, she froze to death. Oh, God. And <clears throat> YouTube, I mean, they won't let me on the platform. This guy's on the platform. Yeah, no, I can't get PragerU to talk about economics, but this guy, I mean, the guy could be facing 15 years in prison. You think nobody ever complained about this to YouTube? Come on. Nobody ever complained about this to YouTube? Be ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. But YouTube has no apparent problem with this stuff, at least not historically. Uh, but uh, for me, making reasoned arguments with evidence, uh, well, that's, that's not dangerous, enough, right? <laughs> bad, bad, right? Yeah. So... You have a lot of interesting topics and questions, but when you're a doctor in a time of plague, 
esoteria is abandonment of duty. It's, it's literally like a doctor who likes to play golf. There's a plague, and he can save lives, but instead he's working on his golf swing. Mm -hmm. And that's the invitation. I, I mean, I just put that out to you. I put that out to everyone. What are you going to do in this time of moral plague? What are you going to do now? You may say, well, I'm going to uh, flee. I'm going to hide. I'm going to go underground. I'm going to back off. Okay. I mean, listen, I mean, I, I'm not going to say, ooh, that's terrible. Ooh, you should never. Everybody should, right? Everybody has different circumstances, different skills, different options, different abilities. All moral actions are permissible, but you need self-knowledge to make them just or right or reasonable or valid. And if you say, like, here's the thing. You listen to the show for a while. Yeah. I mean, I say this I'm, to everyone who's listening to this, right? So if you've listened to this show for a while, you are, in a philosophical sense, a kind of doctor. And we are in a time of plague. And the call to intellectual arms has been sounding like a klaxon for many years across the human and moral landscape. And that's a question everybody needs to answer for themselves. What am I doing as a healer? I say healer, not doctor, because I don't, you know, it's, it's more of a reserved term. What am I doing as a healer in a time of plague? Now, am I sitting there saying, well, you know, there's some level of subjectivity in everyone and we can only gain a certain amount of access to the objective universe and blah, 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 blah. And listen, I mean, I wrote a book, Essential Philosophy. You can get it for free at essentialphilosophy.com where I talked about these very issues. But the whole point of that book was to get people to UPB. <laughs> I have the, uh, the worm and the hook, right? The hook is subjective morality. The worm is interest in philosophy. That's what gets you the bite. But, you know, everybody, you know, it's a Sunday today. You probably have a little bit of time. You know, close your eyes, sit on the couch. Think about all the moral instruction you have received, all of the objectivity, facts, and truth that you have received from these conversations, from my presentations, from the experts I've interviewed. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? How are you acting in the world to advance the values of reason, evidence, and philosophy? What's the actionable items that come out of these conversations, this listening, your interest in philosophy? This is what used to happen in the business world, is everybody would sit down when I was in the business world, people would sit down for meetings and everybody would windbag about stuff. And I, always be, I wouldn't be quite pounding the table, but it wouldn't be far off from that saying, okay, what actionable items are we getting out of this? What can we do? And, and not only what can we do, but how can we measure it? Because you can't manage what you can't measure. So if you're interested in abstractions, great. But if you listen to this show for a while and you haven't moved from theory to action, you're part of the problem. I'll be straight up. You're part of the problem. Because you're interested in philosophy as uh, a toy, as an abstract brain tinkering, as 
maybe a way to feel smarter than those around you, or something like that. But philosophy is designed to get you in trouble, <laughs> right? Philosophy which doesn't get you in trouble does no harm to the evildoers in the world. So peace, reason, voluntarism, ostracism is, of course, my preferred way of dealing with the people who simply won't admit error or moral fault. But you've been listening to this show for a while, and... Of course, what I noticed, it's not a criticism. It's not a criticism at all. I'm simply pointing out something that I've noticed. But what I noticed was you didn't say, you know, I've been really taking the Socratic approach to the moral philosophies or moral beliefs or ideals or ideas of those around me. And it's getting pretty bloody hot out here. It's getting pretty tense around here. Well, that's someone who's taking philosophy seriously and doing something about it. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. And that's how you know how important philosophy is. If you're not in trouble, you know, if, if I had some windy, abstract, semi-Confucian, Tao crap, you know, be at one with the universe stuff, nobody would be upset with me at all. If I was <laughs> Alan Watts. But it's the philosophy that leads to moral examination. That's what happened to Socrates, right? He was morally examined people, found them wanting. It's a philosophy that leads to moral examination that counts, that matters. Everything else. I mean, can you imagine being an athlete and training for 10 years to get to the Olympics? You get to the Olympics and you're just about to go and compete and you're like, eh, nah, don't really want to. Don't really care. Doesn't matter to me. No thanks. That would be very strange, because the purpose of all of that training is to get out there and win the fucking gold. It's the purpose of all that training. You know, I've complained about, on this show, I've complained about, I just got a really nice note from a woman yesterday. I put it up on my testimonials section. You should really check it out, the Free Domain blog, freedomain.com. There is a, a sticky, there's a testimonial, so you should scroll through that. It's got a really nice testimonial yesterday from a woman. I've complained, of course, in the past about women saying, oh, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer, right? And they spend their 20s doing all of this stuff, getting trained. And then they hit their early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. And they're like, oh, man, I got baby rabies. I got to have a baby. I want to have a baby. And they go have a baby. And then they say, oh, you know, I really, I really like being home with the baby. I want to stay home with the baby. I want to stay home and have more kids. Well, great. I think it's wonderful. Have kids, of course, right? Dust, your, dust off your balls and make a future. Dust off your eggs and make a future. I think that's great. However, it is important to recognize that society is down one doctor. Society is down one engineer. Society is down one lawyer, which, you know, some people may not think is the end of the world, but, you know, I guess people need lawyers from time to time. So, if you have consumed all of this knowledge and you are in possession of this knowledge, that you have great power. You have great power in the world. And as we all know, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. You have the power to fix the world. And because you have that power, the people who are profiting from a broken world aren't going to like you very much. 
those people may be quite immediate to your environment and your circumstances. And I'm not telling you, just to be perfectly clear, I am not telling you to go out and fight. I'm not telling you to go out and fight. But I am telling you that if you choose not to, you're responsible for that because you have knowledge now. You know, we few, we happy few, we Hank Sank minions, we are in possession of the Holy Grail of objective morality. Morality without government guns, without God's punishments, we are in possession of that. And that gives us, I, I knew when I first started working on objective morality, which was like the second day I had any intention of becoming a public philosopher, I knew that if I solved it, I was screwed. I knew that. I knew that if I solved the problem of objective morality, that I was going to be targeted. And really, fundamentally, that's all I'm targeted for. Because if we have objective morality, it takes away the need for religious punishment, and it takes away the need for the state as the only method by which moral injunctions can be fulfilled. And in particular, the non-aggression principle and the ostracism of evildoers. Right, so you've got objective morality together with the ostracism of evildoers, and you have the solution to almost all of the world's ailments. Objective morality and ostracism is the one-two punch that enforces everything we talk about here. And why do you think I got targeted so hard and so early? Because the profits of religiosity, the profits of statism, are trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars and massive control over an increasingly bowed, cowed, and frightened population. You are in possession of this knowledge. You can't undo that while you are still brain-functioning and alive. You can't undo that. And even if you were to undo it, you wouldn't undo the fact that you currently are in possession of this information. And this information is Gandalf on the bridge with the ball rock, right? It's a big ball rock. It's a big devil. We're an old man, so to speak. It's a narrow bridge. But you're in possession of this knowledge. The knowledge that is both necessary and dangerous to save the world. It's always my question. Okay, what are you doing? It's my question to myself. I'm harsh with myself as well. What am I doing with it? Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Could I be doing it differently? Have I done too much? What am I doing in this dance with danger known as actually thinking for yourself? And not just thinking for yourself, but bringing that thought, those thoughts, those questions to the world. So my friend, and I mean that genuinely, we are friends in wisdom, in the pursuit of wisdom here. That's why I said I don't think you understand what I've just done, which is I've just handed you a conscription, or rather you've chosen to receive a conscription. 
to the most necessary and the most dangerous battle the world has ever known. And by pulling you out of the fog of, well, you know, it's kind of tough for English-speaking people to learn Chinese because it's kind of a sung language, right? Uh, that's all very nice. It's all well and good, but I've now, because your other question was around free will, right? And I, I'm not I mean, trying to pick on you personally or anything, but the other question was around free will. Okay. So prior to this conversation, you were lost in a fog. And I wanted to guide you step by step out of that fog. Now, your first impulse, I understand that, my first impulse too, is to run back into the fog and say, well, it can't be that simple. It's simply examining people for their moral contradictions. It can't be that simple. Let me see if I can overcomplicate things again. Let me see if I can state the blindingly obvious, like, yeah, there's some subjectivity in the world and, and feel that I'm adding anything to the battle against elemental evil that's going on in the world at the moment. But I needed to lead you step by step out of that fog. What is free will? What is truth? What is subjectivity? And to give you what you have agreed to, and again, it's not binding, you can change your mind tomorrow, but if you change your mind without a good reason, then you'll know that you changed your mind without a good reason and that you're backing down from an essential fight and that the evils that then result are to some degree more your fault than theirs. Because right? if you are a doctor in possession of medicine, and let's say that there are fools out there, and there are fools out there who smoke too much, who drink too much, who do hyper-dangerous sports without helmets and so on, right? And they come into your hospital, and you have the method to cure them, but you don't cure them. You are, to some degree, responsible for their death. Why? Because you're wise and they're fools. And there are fools out there who think that, uh, well, you know, we just need Joe Biden to give everybody Medicare and universal basic income and the world would be a power. But they're idiots. They're pompous, vain, empty-headed, usually low-IQ fools who wouldn't know their ass from a hole in the ground if it didn't have hair and a pointer. So, being in the possession of wisdom is both a very great and a very terrible thing. Because it gives you more responsibility in some ways even than the evildoers. You know, the people who genuinely think that voluntarists are Nazis. Okay, they're just empty-headed, child-traumatized, programmed, propagandized fools. Useful idiots, you know, as the phrase goes, right? What is their degree of moral responsibility? I mean, if you look at these, the Antifa headshots and so on, you look at, I mean, imagine what kind of childhood these poor people had. And yeah, okay, they're doing wrong. Absolutely, they're doing evil, I think, some of them for sure. But they also were extraordinarily abused as children. I have no doubt of that. They were relentlessly propagandized in schools. They were told that drugs were cool. They were probably put on Ritalin or some other godforsaken brain-shrinking medication when they were kids. You say, oh gosh, what? I mean, in a sense, what chance do they have? And it's moral responsibility in the abstract. I get all of that. And there's some people who make it out. I had a conversation with an ex-Antifa member on the show some years ago. But 
it takes an extraordinary person to overcome that kind of trauma, brain rewiring and propaganda. Do they have much moral choice, much moral responsibility? It's hard to say, but it wouldn't be at the high end, for sure. But you, who are listening to this on the other hand, you do have significant responsibility because you have knowledge, not just of what is true and what is good, but also how to overcome trauma, the necessity of moral courage in a dangerous world. And I'm not saying do things that are self-destructive. I'm not saying that at all. But where you can advance the cause of truth and reason and virtue and UPB, do so. And if people simply reject your arguments, push back, attack you, are bitter or angry or childish or vicious, and you have the reasonably safe option to, to dissociate from people, then you must do so. If you wish to retain integrity to your values, now again, you can say, okay, I don't want to dissociate from anyone, then okay, you need to abandon philosophy, you need to abandon UPP. As I said before, because you're discrediting the philosophy by failing to act upon it. You're the fat guy promoting a diet, not realizing, or perhaps you are somewhat realizing that by being a fat guy who promotes a diet, you're harming the diet. You're harming the, the perception of the diet. And so, you know, when I say, okay, so now there's three things here, right? You can talk about the contradictions of anti-racism when, when it blames whites. You can talk about the uh, taxation is theft. And you can talk about that uh, hitting children is, uh, is immoral, is evil. It's evil. It's not just because immorality is, is when you promote moral theories that lead to evil. And evil is when you violate the non-aggression principle. Is it violating the non-aggression principle to promote anti-rational ideas? No. It's immoral. In the realm of morality, it's immoral to promote anti-rational moral ideals. In the same way that it's immoral to lie, it doesn't mean you go to jail for it. It's immoral to have an affair. It doesn't mean you go to jail for it. It doesn't mean it's illegal. It doesn't mean that, you know, if, if you have an affair, your wife doesn't get to kill you morally, right? Because you've, you've acted wrong. It's aesthetically negative, right? Right? So there's aesthetically negative, which is, you know, something like lying in a non-coercive situation, having an affair, uh, and so on, being irresponsible, uh, not uh, performing tasks, or telling people that you're not going to do them, or something like that, right? Which causes harm to people, and so on. Now, these things are immoral, but they're not evil because you're not initiating the use of force. And it's not direct fraud. And in the same way, the promotion of anti-moral moral theories is immoral. It leads to evil, but the people who actually do the evil are the ones who are evil. <laughs> people who do evil are evil. Oh yeah, that's a bit of a tautology, but you get what I mean, right? Now, philosophy can't do much about the evildoers. That's the job for self-defense. That's the job for the police in some sort of future just civilization or society. But we sure as hell, we sure as hell can do a lot about the promotion of anti-rational moral theories. I mean, that leads to violence. That leads to violence. And I don't know that we're doing that 
nearly as much as we need to as a community. And again, please don't put yourself in any danger. Don't break the law. Don't use violence. I mean, all of that, right? It's not the realm of philosophy. The realm of philosophy is the relentless opposition of anti-rational moral arguments. That's the realm of morality. And the whole purpose, I've said this from the very beginning of the show, two things that are important. Number one, nothing is more dangerous than false moral theories. Nothing in this world is more dangerous than false moral theories. That's number one. And number two, that the entire purpose of philosophy, or that the realm that philosophy operates in is morality. But the purpose of philosophy is happiness in the long run. But the entire sphere of morality, sorry, the entire sphere of philosophy is morality. Morality. And I have talked about ostracism of immoral people for many, many years. It's the first thing that I was ever actually really attacked for because it is so incredibly effective and powerful. Of course, I mean, the left is now suggesting it and they just wanted to keep that weapon for themselves, obviously, right? And I am, of course, in possession, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to read my novel. Please, please go check it out. Freedomain.com forward slash almost. Freedomain.com forward slash almost. Just get the feed. Start listening. I guarantee you'll be hooked. It's a great book. But one of the reasons, and this is what people find confusing a little bit about me, like, well, if you're anti-communist, you must be a Nazi (laughs) or whatever, fascist, right? But my family, it's a very personal story, but my family suffered enormously under both international socialism, communism, and national socialism. On my mother's side, there was uh, one of her stepmothers was Jewish, and there was, of course, that hounding. But even the non-Jewish, which was by far the majority of her family, uh, they were all intellectuals, poets, writers of fiction and non-fiction, and relatively famous. I think uh, one of her brothers won a German national prize for poetry. I know actually he did because the poem was on my, on the wall of my childhood home. And they were not allowed to publish. They were driven underground. Sources of income were destroyed. And that was my family's life under the Nazis. And people know this, which is why the accusation of white supremacy or the idea that whites should violently rule over other races is an absolutely repulsive, repulsive, repugnant, hideous notion. That was my family's life under Nazism. My mother's life under Nazism was terrible. Y'all know the story. My grandmother was killed, perhaps even by one of my uncles on my father's side on the night of the Dresden bombing. And my mother was in the east of Germany when the Russians invaded, when the communists invaded. And she was in a village 
where a Russian tank commander threatened to blow up and destroy the entire village. It's communist. You couldn't be a commander in the Russian military without being a communist. And she told me that as a little girl, at about the age of eight or so, maybe nine, she had to snuggle up to the Russian tank commander in order to have him not destroy the village and kill her and everyone around. Now, we could, of course, go completely mad trying to unpack the details of that story from many decades ago. What the hell did my mother mean by snuggling up to a communist to prevent him from killing everyone when she was a little girl? Well, sadly, tragically, awfully, I think we all know what she meant. And it probably wasn't just him. That's my view of Nazism. And that's my view of communism. I've got a lot of theories, a lot of arguments, a lot of evidence, which I believe in. But that's where things will go if we don't take a stand. I know I've been pushing everyone hard lately. Did a big speech on Wednesday night. I'm doing another speech now. Very happy to have talked to you, my friend, this morning because getting people out of the fog and onto the field of intellectual battle is my catcher in the rye scenario. Because you want to get lost in abstractions and you want to think that philosophy is uh, books and debates and simulation and all of that. And I hope that we have a world at some point where that is the case. But that's not the case right now. You cannot honorably research obscure ailments if you're a doctor in a time of plague. You just can't. Because you have such a deep responsibility based upon the knowledge that you pursue. Don't be what the devil wants is for you to study philosophy and render it inconsequential. Oh, that's just an abstract philosophical question. Oh, that's such an ivory tower thing. Oh, oh yeah, so-and-so, Bob, whatever. He studies philosophy. He's really into philosophy, and it never adds up to anything. Never, you know, nothing changes, doesn't do anything with it. So you understand that if you study philosophy without challenging the moral contradictions of the people around you, you're doing the devil's work. You're serving some very, very bad fucking masters. And you may think that you're on the side of good. And I have no problem with you before you hear this argument. And you may, of course, reject this argument, in which case, please tell me why it's false. And I will stop making it and I will retract, as I do, as you know that I do. But if you're in possession of this knowledge, you are a superman. You are a mortal god. You are an X-man. You are a superhero charged with the full power of rational virtue. And, you know, in every superhero movie, the superhero discovers and expands his powers, usually, 
and then goes out and uh, fights. And you have this superpower. Philosophy is responsibility. Moral responsibility, the most important responsibility there is in the world. That's what philosophy is. It gives you a superpower. And now a lot of people, of course, only use the superpower to make their own lives better, which is kind of like Superman working for the circus to make himself a multimillionaire and not fighting any evil in the world. It's a douche move, to put it mildly. And listen, I want philosophy to make your life happier. I do. I want it. This is why I wrote Real-Time Relationships. But I, if you only use it to make your own life happier and better, um, well, two, two things. One, you're not serving an often helpless general population. And you're letting the bad guys propagandize them without putting any pushback in the world, number one. And number two, it's not going to lead to your happiness anyway. It's just not going to lead to your happiness anyway. Because bad guys take over. And then what? There's no America to run to anymore, you understand, right? It's the last stand. It's the last stand. So knowing all of that, when I talk to my Sunday morning friend about here's your mission, which you voluntarily, I didn't, you took it out of my hand, right? Taxation, racism, hypocrisy, and spanking. And, you know, there could be many more. This is just the ones that happen to pop into my mind. It's certainly important to me. Well, what should have happened is if you got it, like the true depth of what I was talking about, there would have been a 10-second pause, and you know what you would have said? Oh, shit. No, no, no. <laughs> do not want, do not want. Back off, back off, rewind, run, flee. Nah, soldier, you're up. Yeah, well, I mean, in fairness to myself, I, I asked that question originally back in June. And uh, when I was asked last night, oh, you know, oh, you finally, you got up in the, the, the pinned message. I, I felt like, oh, well, that, that feels a little out of date now. <laughs> World's changed quite a bit since then, but we can still have the uh the abstract conversation uh and yeah i i have uh i don't want to sort of put out everything i've been doing to uh try and fight what's going on but i i think you are 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 deadly right um about what you're saying about where we are in the world and what's what's going on and where the stakes are going uh and uh yeah i think but uh, I ha and I have been doing things. I don't want to sort of like itemize all the things I, I've I've done and and uh, put it out there like it's a uh, like like I feel like I I don't want to be like defending myself like saying okay well I did this this and this so I'm not a bad guy. No, totally. Set like, me straight. You know where I've gone astray, and if it's an older question, I'm absolutely thrilled and overjoyed to be corrected. So defend away, yeah. honestly, and oh, and point oh. people the way. Okay, well, I mean, quite not, like I I wrote that question back in June. And I have been like, I I am very proactive with reaching out to people. I'm I'm more than just a a keyboard warrior. I mean, uh, I I don't. I think there is some sort of we there. It, Steph, there is some disagreement about what strategy. I think between us, but like I I'm I'm uh, on on the board like different boards of different things. Um, 
my kids are still in the public school system and I, but I'm, I'm pushing back there. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm not ostracizing people. I'm still, and I'm maybe not as, as harsh as you, cause I'm trying to, you know, wake, wake people up the way I can, but I, I, uh, uh, I get everything I'm doing. I, I'm actually in, in, uh, <laughs> with this lockdown stuff, I, I've been organizing sort of, uh, what would you, <laughs> I, I feel like they're speakeasies of sorts because we're not allowed to talk about, talk to people. Right. And that's one of the way the communists get ahead is, is, is by destroying community and shutting people out. So I've actually been setting up sort of shadow networks of people where I'm, I'm organizing people and we're, we're meeting in clandestine and, and sharing ideas and helping each other. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I appreciate you martyring yourself the way that you do, um, but I think that there's also roles for us to play in in reaching out to communities and in uh, helping people who are so confused about what's going on and what's transpiring and um, giving them nudges in the right direction and, and assuring them that they're not crazy when they when they question the the authority official narratives if that makes sense so um well it certainly does and i retract um what i said before uh, you 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 sound like a perfectly action-based and honorable man in the certain circumstance and situation and i apologize for not characterizing you accurately uh, and i appreciate hugely appreciate the correction and uh, welcome you with open arms into the fray. Uh, I really, really do appreciate that, and and I hope that you can forgive me for mischaracterizing. I did it based upon the question, which is yeah, that's the, the evidence I was working with. But new evidence, hey, <laughs> you know, yeah, fair enough. I was we were talking anti-rational. About... I was irrational before because I was working with incomplete evidence. I appreciate the update and yeah. evidence, and it sounds great. Good, good for you, man, and and that's fantastic work. Fantastic work. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No. And I and I appreciate that. And um, yeah, and it, and like it is like I, 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 I yeah, and it is a serious time, and I, I and I, I still sort of feel though it, it it's nice to have that sort of space like where I thought about like okay let's talk about something abstract too, but I I, I, I agree with you like it's it's really is like this is this is where we have to start, um, yeah we, uh, we yeah, yeah I mean listen, you need the R and D. This is to use a military analogy in a philosophical context, which only has some applicability. But you need the abstract R&D to come up with radar so that you can defend yourself against German bombers. But at some point, the pilots have to take to the sky or the theory ends up all theory and no practice. So anyway, I appreciate that. Is there anything you wanted to conclude with? I'm certainly happy to hear. Um, I, th- I, I think that the only thing uh, I would say... Uh, because like, I and I do appreciate where you like using a a, uh, a uh, ostracism is 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 an important tool in the arsenal, and it's definitely being used against us, and it's definitely being used against you to a horrendous degree. So I, I appreciate you know your your desire to use that back, but at the same time, it's like we you know we we, we got to re- reach out to people, and we got to find common ground with people that you know aren't aren't all the way there, and because uh, uh, like a lot of these forces we're pushing against, that people have visceral understandings that they're wrong. They may not be, you know, like you were saying, in the, in the realm of nature. Um, they may not 
be all there with uh, uh, where where you are at with uh, having a, a, a having a rational understanding of of morality, objective morality, but you know that they they do have have a more visceral sense of how how wrong the world is going now, and um, we got to rally those people. And, well, I certainly agree with that, and I would say that one of my major goals is you know it's a jungle out here, and I've been working like a yeoman to hack down the trees, uproot the roots, and create a landing space. Because, you mm -hmm. know, there's all these people circling around, like in helicopters, and if there's no place for them to land, don't expect them to land. And if you're not willing to create a community of rational people for other people to join, you know, most people, they're not going to abandon what's keeping them afloat in the hopes of finding something somewhere down the road. They need some place to land. They need something to grab onto. Create a community of rational people, and then people aren't just going to be wandering off into nowhere, into a void. I yep. said this way back in my first book, On Truth, the Tyranny of Illusion, about there's a village on the other side of the desert. And back then, people had to cross the desert even to know about the village. Now people know about the village. No one's going to cross that desert if there's no place at the end. No one's going to land their helicopter in the midst of vines and trees. It's just sure path to self-destruction, so we need to clear a place for people to land. And it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job of that, and I, I honor and appreciate you for that. I think it's uh, it's great work. And as far as martyrdom goes, yeah, it's harsh, of course, right? I mean, how I've been treated uh, has been monstrously unjust and, and harsh. But um, I, I still don't consider it martyrdom. I still have a vastly better life than I ever would have had if I had not become philosophical or not pursued philosophy. And I also have a vastly better life than I ever would have had if I had not become a public philosopher. And it's partly because of my life, my wife, my family, my friends. And it's also partly because I have the honor, distinct honor, of these kinds of conversations. So thank you, everyone, so much for giving me that opportunity. Thank you, everyone, so much for supporting the show. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. I'm going to send out another free book probably today. You can do that at freedomain.com forward slash newsletter. FDRpodcasts.com to search for podcasts and download what you like. And freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks as always to James. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks to you, my brothers and sisters in the battle of ideas. I hugely appreciate everything that we're doing as a community, everything that you're doing to support what it is that I do. And if there's anything I can do to support what you do even better or even more, please, please let me know. Operations at freedomain.com. Lots of love from up here. I'll talk to you soon.